Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hello and welcome to Dark Poutine. I am Mike Brown. Across the table from me is Matthew. Hello. 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 How are things? 10 out of 10, thanks. 10 out of 10. That is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? I did. Yeah. Did you eat a lot? I did. So did I. <laughs> it was my cheat day. Ah. Did it show? Yes. Oh, well. I somehow managed to go back to the weight that I was a month before from one bloody meal. Oh, geez. <laughs> the views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate, Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Our content is often intense and some listeners may find it disturbing. We are not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We are ordinary Canadian schmucks chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. They're great. Are they? Yeah. You should say dark poutines. Well, well, the fries are great. There you go. Touche. <laughs> and the cheese curds. <laughs> On the evening of July 30th, 2008, Tim McLean, a 22-year-old Canadian carnival barker, was returning home to Winnipeg riding a Greyhound bus when he was viciously stabbed, beheaded, and cannibalized by another passenger about 18 kilometers west of Portage La Prairie, Manitoba. After arriving on the scene, RCMP watched for hours as the perpetrator, Vincent Lee, 40, desecrated Tim's body inside the bus after the driver and remaining passengers had fled, powerless to stop the man's frenzy. Less than a year later, Vince Lee was found not criminally responsible, NCR, for Tim McLean's slaying, but held in a Manitoba psychiatric institution from which he was released just six years later. You are listening to Dark Poutine episode 191, Horror on Bus 1170, The Death of Tim McLean. Timothy Richard McLean Jr. was born on October 3, 1985 at Victoria General Hospital in Winnipeg. He was Tim Jr. to family, Timmy to his friends, and Joka Wild to his juggalo buddies. His uncle Alex later said in a statement that, quote, Tim was a stubborn soul and a kind one. He made friends effortlessly, disliked no one, and accepted everyone for who they were. He was a charmer who loved to smile, and you could never take a plate of food away from him. End quote. Tim's family wrote in his obituary, quote, 
He grew up both in Winnipeg and Eli, with more family than he could shake a stick at. Tim was very active. He loved soccer, football, motorbikes, and generally anything that would get him into dirt and trouble. He could always bring out the best in people with his charm and never tired of pulling pranks. Tim's appetite was legendary, both for food and life. He could never stand still. There was a whole world to see, and everywhere he went, he brought light and joy. End quote. Mike, aren't obituaries interesting? I, I, I mean, they're just sort of, <laughs> I was thinking of this when you were reading that. They're just words on a page, right? Mm. And I can't, like, you can't possibly express just through words the love you had or the loss you feel for like losing a son or the joy and the aliveness of the person you can't you just can't you can't get that down in words well that and and trying to encapsulate someone's entire life in just a few paragraphs it's yeah and it, it sounds like tim this guy tim was really enjoying his and really living his life right yeah and they painted a good picture of him here and i can't imagine his poor family having to write this yeah Tim was a good-looking, outgoing, fun, and compassionate guy, much loved by his family and many friends. Among the ink adornments on his body, Tim McLean had a Marvin the Martian tattoo and another of an evil clown reminiscent of the Great Malenko, a character from the lore of the Insane Clown Posse, both a rap group and a wrestling duo. A YouTube video complete with rap song dedicated to Tim's memory sports numerous photos of a broadly smiling Tim McLean, often with friends and sometimes in juggalo makeup. It would be safe to assume that Tim was into the juggalo lifestyle. From Wikipedia, according to Shaggy 2 Dope, one of the members of the Insane Clown Posse, juggalos come from all walks of life, from poverty, from rich, from all religions and colors. It doesn't matter if you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth or a crack rock in your mouth, end quote. Juggalos have compared themselves to a family. Common characteristics of identifying a member of the Juggalo subculture are as follows. Drinking and spraying the inexpensive soft drink Fago, a cheap, multi-flavored soft drink native to the United States. Listening to horrorcore and other types of underground rap music, Wearing face paint, generally those either like an evil clown or perhaps similar to corpse paint. Wearing hatchet gear, having the Hatchet Man logo applied on personal effects and die cast worn as jewelry. Doing hair in the spider leg style, i.e. like the members of Twisted, another band in the ICP universe. Displaying the gesture of Wicked Clown the west side sign with the left hand, and the C sign in American Sign Language with the right, with arms crossed over. Making and responding to whoop whoop calls. Expressing a generally tongue-in-cheek obsession with murder, ironically in this case committed with a blade weapon. Juggalos view the lyrics of psychopathic records artists, which are often violent in nature, as a catharsis for aggression. According to an article on Insider.com, quote, There are no official numbers for how many people identify as juggalos, although the FBI's 2011 National Gang Threat Assessment reported that there were one million self-identifying juggalos and juggalettes. There's also evidence that many homeless youth identify as juggalos, quote, because the group's music embraces poverty and being an outsider in mainstream society, end quote. 
That is according to a 2017 study published in the Child Psychiatry and Human Development Scientific Journal, which also found that, quote, juggalos are stereotyped as being violent, undereducated, poor, racist, crime-committing youth. Stereotyped. That's right. I'm not sure who funded that study, but I don't think they get juggalos. My own experience with the group is that they seem more a community than a gang, a fellowship that meets annually at the gathering of the Juggalos to celebrate each other, their lifestyle, and a common interest in ICP's music. Just so happens they have a big party, too. Although I used to listen to ICP, I wouldn't call myself a Juggalo. But I liked them so much that I started a Half-Life deathmatch clan called ICP. Our theme song was Chicken Hunting, a tune from ICP's 1994 album Ringmaster. If you want to check out ICP on Apple Music and Spotify, do, but the lyrics are nowhere remotely close to kid-friendly. You've been warned. Finding that Tim McLean was an insane clown posse fan helped me to connect to him as I researched. There were other ways that I related to him, too. Tim McLean loved traveling, seeing new places, and meeting new people. This is what drew him to the Carney lifestyle after first securing a gig at the Red River Exhibition in Winnipeg in the years before his death. Right from the get-go, Tim McLean loved the carnival and found his talent for talking came in handy as he began running games on the midway as a carnival barker. Tim's love of ICP's Dark Carnival and the Juggalos made the Western Canadian exhibition circuit a perfect fit for him. Tim ate, slept, and dreamt of the carnival. The carnival was a party when the rides were running and the games were being played, and it continued on later in the travel trailers, tents, and hotel rooms of the Carnies as they made their way, like modern-day nomads, from town to town throughout the summer. I worked in the carnival myself one summer at the Big X in Bridgewater, Nova Scotia. There, through my friend Dennis, I was hired on as a helper, spinning the wheel, taking bets, and barking for the color game for the Bill Lynch shows. I could see the appeal of the carny life for someone who liked to party and was not quite ready to settle down and get a Joe job. I didn't have the guts to travel like Tim McLean had, but even my brief exposure to the carnival was informative, to say the least. What's a color game? It was a gambling game, essentially. People would put a quarter, a dime, a nickel, a penny down, and we would spin the wheel, and if it landed on their color, sometimes there was a number associated with the color on the wheel, and you would win whatever times amount okay. of I, that color. I'm kind of disappointed. I thought you'd be like on the flying trapeze or in the freak show or something. That is the circus, not the carnival. What, are they different? A carnival will sometimes have a freak show, a quote unquote, which right. is like not politically correct anymore. Except for with you. Uh, did you know that sometimes <laughs> the quote bearded ladies right. were actually drunken shaved bears? Oh, poor bears. Right? It's very awful. I used to be a drunken shaved bear. (laughs) Let's continue. After a successful but taxing jaunt to the Edmonton Capitol exhibition, Tim McLean was on his way back to Winnipeg to see his family. At approximately 12.30 a.m. on Wednesday, July 30, 2008, Tim McLean boarded Greyhound Bus 1170 in Edmonton, Alberta. Tim was looking forward to a week of R&R at home before he was to be off again to the Pacific National Exhibition, the P&E, here in Vancouver for one of the later shows in the season. He planned to use his time on the bus ride to begin chilling out by listening to music, texting with his friends, and napping. What would be Tim McLean's final bus ride was completely uneventful, 
until a passenger named Vince Lee also boarded that Greyhound bus on July 30th, 2008 at 5.55 p.m. at Erickson, Manitoba. Vincent Weiguang Li was born a month prematurely in Dandong City, China, close to the North Korean border, on April 30, 1968. As he was premature, Vince was considered fragile and suffered numerous medical issues related to his lungs into his teenage years. It was said that, as a result, his family favored him and that he'd been spoiled. Otherwise, his upbringing was unremarkable. Vince went to the University of Wuhan Institute of Technology, from which he graduated with an engineering degree in applied electronics and computer engineering in 1992. He got a job in his chosen field at a factory and soon met and married his wife after they dated for three years. In 2001, hoping to build a better life for themselves, Vince and his wife emigrated to Canada. Toronto was their initial target, but they eventually settled on Winnipeg as the cost of living there was much lower and their meager savings would go much further in the smaller city. Come to Winnipeg. It's cheap, but cold. Portage in Maine, apparently. Been told that that is the coldest corner to stand on in wintertime? Have you been to Winnipeg? I have been there, but in the summer and only for a night. I actually really like Winnipeg, Mm -hmm. but Portage in Maine, it has this weird under, you can't cross. It's like the main downtown intersection. Sure. Yeah. You can't cross the street. You have, they have these like underground things. Oh, so you don't get hit by a car. No, I think it's because it's so cold. Oh, okay. But it's sort of like, it just sort of cuts you off from like, you, you see like the bank across the street and you have to go underground and figure out how to get there. I don't like it. One thing that stands out to me about Winnipeg was, uh, it was years ago, this video went viral of a man pooping in one of the, one of the, uh, large plants oh, in Jesus. the mall in Winnipeg. Nice. Yeah. Just dropped trow and took a dump. Random. In Jeffrey Waldman, MD, and FRCPC's chapter on Vince Lee in the book Shrunk, Crime and Disorders of the Mind, Waldman wrote, quote, As is common with many educated immigrants in Canada, he had difficulty finding employment to match his training. His first job was working in the kitchen area in a McDonald's restaurant. His English was not good enough at the time to serve customers, end quote. I once worked with a man who, although he'd been a respected radiologist in Russia after emigrating to Canada, was unable to pass his medical exams due to a lack of English proficiency. It was really frustrating for him. The best employment he could acquire was as a mobile security officer, like I was, a guy who'd just been to film school. Although frustrated and employed far below his capabilities, Vince was persistent and hardworking. With his wife also working at a local Thai restaurant, Vince was able to return to school and went to CDI College, where he completed a computer programming diploma in 2002, hoping to get back into something more aligned with his skills. His dreams were dashed when all he could get were low-paying labor gigs and eventually began working at a Tim Hortons restaurant two years later. It was around this time that Vince later admitted that he had begun to hear voices and have strange and distressing thoughts. The voice he believed was coming from the sun told him he was the Chinese Jesus, and according to Jeffrey Waldman in Shrunk, quote, whenever he made decisions at that time, he would walk outside and stare at the sun to wait for instructions about what to do, end quote. 
In September of 2005, the voice from the sun that Vince perceived to be God's directed Lee onto a Greyhound bus to visit a friend in Toronto. But upon arriving, Vince realized he did not know where his friend lived. Over the next few days, he wandered around the city looking for his pal, talking to strangers, and spent all of what little money he had. The voice then directed Vince to go back to Winnipeg, so he started walking down the highway, where, in an extremely confused and agitated state, he was picked up and taken to a hospital in Etobicoke by police and kept there on a psychiatric hold. From Shrunk, quote, Based on his presentation that day in Etobicoke, he was diagnosed with schizophrenia catatonic state. Despite the description of the severity of Vince's symptoms, he was hospitalized for a relatively brief 10-day admission. During that brief stay, he was treated with multiple medications initially to address the psychotic agitation, including intramuscular olanzapine, an atypical antipsychotic, intramuscular clopixol acuphase, a typical antipsychotic, as well as oral risperdal, another atypical antipsychotic, at a dose of 2 mg three times a day. After a few days in hospital, an antidepressant agent, Celexa, was added at a dosage of 20 mg per day. The day before discharge, he was started on Epival, a mood stabilizer, at 500 mg twice a day. End quote. Vince's recollections of his stay in Etobicoke were hazy. He believed he was being punished for something and left the hospital against medical advice without medication and contacted his frustrated wife who helped him get back to Winnipeg before filing for divorce and making plans to return to China. Vince then moved to Edmonton. He worked at delivering newspapers and several other jobs at the Clareview Mall Walmart during this time in Edmonton. Vince attended church on a regular basis and was granted Canadian citizenship in 2007. For the next three years, Vince Lee claims God spoke to him from the sun. No one else knew that he was receiving these messages. The people who knew him thought that Vince Lee might have had some sort of mental problem, but they never knew him to be violent. He had no history of drug and alcohol abuse. He was never diagnosed with any personality disorder. However, eventually, the voice, now talking to him persistently, told Vince that he should start carrying a knife, which he did. At the end of July 2008, the voice told Vince he should start traveling again. He delivered his last batch of newspapers on the morning of July 28, 2008, and then bought a Greyhound bus ticket to Winnipeg. He was traveling under the alias Wong Pent. According to the Tim's Law website, before Lee got onto the bus, he sent a note to his ex-wife. It read, quote, I'm gone. Don't look for me. I wish you were happy, end quote. Even though his ticket was for Winnipeg, Vince Lee got off the bus with his three bags at the municipality of Erickson in Manitoba when the bus arrived at 5.55 p.m. For the next 24 hours, he wandered around the village of 487 people. He stuck out like a sore thumb. According to CBC, he spent a long time in the M&M grocery store and then, according to one witness, passed the night on a park bench. The next morning, Lee sold his new laptop computer to a 15-year-old boy for just 60 bucks, tossing in the computer bag for free. Waiting for the next bus, arriving just before 6 p.m., Vince spent most of the day hanging out in the alley beside M&M. When Vince Lee got on the bus that evening, he was wearing sunglasses that he kept on for most of the trip. No one but Vince knew that he had a large hunting-style bowie knife inside his jacket. He sat toward the front of the bus at first. 
Tim McLean was closer to the back. There were 35 other passengers on board. Several were children. At around 7 p.m., the bus arrived in Brandon, Manitoba. The driver gave passengers extra time during the stop to grab something to eat. When the bus departed Brandon, the entertainment screens on the vehicle were playing the movie Zorro. Between Brandon, Manitoba and Portage La Prairie, during a scheduled rest stop, Tim McLean got off the bus to have a smoke. When Tim returned to his seat before the bus left, Vince Lee got up from his seat and sat down beside Tim at the back of the coach. Witnesses later said that the pair did not seem to have any conversation. Tim McLean drifted off to sleep while listening to music with his headphones on. Vince Lee just sat there next to him for about an hour before the unthinkable happened. And we'll take a break right here. Thoughts on this story so far, Matthew? Mm, I kind of don't want to hear the rest. Yeah. It's tough from here on out. I mean, it's already been tough. When you told me we were doing this episode, I was like, no, yeah. it's hard. Mm-hmm. And this is another reason why I waited so long. I'll get into that more later on in the episode about why I waited, but yeah. that's a big part of it because what you're about to hear is super graphic. So the stuff you're going to probably talk about that super graphic is what caught sort of the attention because this is global yep. worldwide news. But I think the other thing about this is that it captured people's attention because of the randomness of it. Yeah. Right. Just like this, it was totally by chance that they ended up on the same bus together. From the Tim's Law website, quote, at approximately 8.30 p.m. on Wednesday, the 30th of July, 2008, when Greyhound Bus 1170 was approximately 18 kilometers west of Portage La Prairie on the Trans-Canada Highway, Vincent Lee began to repeatedly stab Tim McLean for no apparent reason. Passenger Garnet Caton, a 26-year-old seismic driller who had been sitting in the row in front of Tim McLean and Vince Lee, related his recollections of what happened later in an interview given to the Canadian press. He said, quote, I heard this blood-curdling scream and I turned around and the guy sitting right behind me was standing up and stabbing another guy with a big Rambo knife right in the throat, repeatedly, like 40 or 50 times. When he was attacking him, he was calm. It was like he was at the beach, added Caton. There was no rage or anything. He was just like a robot, stabbing the guy. Tim McLean ended up on the floor of the bus with Vince Lee slashing and stabbing at him. Defensive wounds on Tim's body indicated he'd put up his hands and arms to protect himself and tried to get away, but Lee's attack was brutal and relentless. The bus driver pulled over immediately and passengers and the driver fled from the bus. From the Tim's Law website, quote, Mr. Lee was preoccupied with Tim McLean and continued to stab him as he lay on the floor. He did not pay any attention to the other passengers as the bus was vacated. He appeared oblivious to the demands of the bus driver, Bruce Martin, that he stop what he was doing. Garnet Caton, Bruce Martin, and some other passengers returned to the bus to try to stop Vince Lee, who was now dismembering Tim McLean. In response to their calls for him to stop, a wild-eyed, blood-soaked Vince Lee showed the stunned passengers Tim McLean's head. From the Canadian press, quote, 
He went back to his seat and brought the head to the front and pretty much displayed it to us like that, and then dropped it on the ground in front of us, Caton said. Knowing that they were unable to help Tim McLean and fearing for their own lives, Bruce Martin and his passengers decided it was best that they leave the bus. According to Tim'sLaw.ca, quote, The bus driver was able to close the door on Mr. Lee's arm with the bloody knife extended outside of the bus. Mr. Lee was able to pull his arm back into the bus and return to the rear of the bus, where he defiled the body of Tim McLean. Mr. Martin immediately called 911 once everybody was safely off the bus and the bus door was closed, end quote. Quick thinking, Bruce Martin then disabled the bus from the outside so Vince Lee could not drive it away. The driver of another Greyhound that arrived on the scene later cut the power to the bus as Vince Lee carried on mutilating Tim McLean. Police arrived on scene and, controversially, made the decision not to enter the bus for their own safety and that of Vince Lee who was speaking gibberish and clearly suffering a psychotic break. Police continued to attempt communication with Lee for the duration of the event, but due to Vince Lee's mental state, meaningful discourse was impossible. For more than four hours, Vince Lee was inside bus 1170 with Tim McLean's body, during which time he further mutilated and reportedly cannibalized parts of the young man, including Tim's eyes and a portion of his heart. Vince Lee denies he ate parts of Tim McLean. From Timslaw.ca, at approximately 1.20 on the 31st of July, 2008, Mr. Lee broke open a window on the bus, threw out some personal belongings, a knife, and a pair of scissors. He then jumped out of the bus, head first, landing on top of the knife. RCMP members immediately tried to apprehend him. He was struggling, screaming, and refused to surrender his hands. Police stunned him with a taser on several occasions before he surrendered his hands and could be handcuffed and and taken to a police vehicle. Found in Mr. Lee's pocket was a plastic bag containing Tim McLean's ear, nose, and tongue. Mr. Lee was formally arrested, end quote. Tim's body was recovered from the bus and taken for autopsy. His body showed evidence of damage in excess of 100 areas, ranging from abrasions to a large gaping wound to the chest. News reports of the graphically violent incident went viral, and only a day after, it seemed like everyone knew of the slaying. Some saw it as a time for political statement. According to Wikipedia, quote, After the incident, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, PETA, sent an advertisement to the Portage Daily Graphic comparing the murder of Tim McLean to the killing of animals for food. The ad was rejected by the paper. PETA was harshly criticized for attempting to exploit the incident in such a manner, but refused to apologize, end quote. What a bunch of twats. Seriously, I want to put whoever thought of that in a room with his family to fucking apologize. This is their thing. They will do the whole dive bomb, the thing, but they're not willing to actually sit in a room and have a conversation with the people that they're... And I love animals, but that's this sort of shit is just bullshit. It's not appropriate. No. The week following the attack, Greyhound Canada announced it was pulling a series of nationwide ads, including the line, there's a reason you've never heard of bus rage, end quote. By then, everyone had heard of bus rage. Being in marketing, Mm. this is like shit like this keeps us up at night. Yeah. Right. You create something that's sort of innocent and fun. Yeah. 
and then something happens in the world that completely changes the con context of what you've written. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was smart of them to pull that. Yeah. Well, had this not happened, that might have been a great ad for a Greyhound. It would have been a great ad yep. because that that's the the consumer benefit, if if you will, mm -hmm. is not dealing with other drivers. Someone right. else is like doing I, the driving took, for you. I took the tube here. Yep. Because it's Matthew like, calls it the tube. Sorry, it's actually sorry, the sky the train. Sky train. Yeah. The metro. The subway. And I don't like taking public transportation very much, but mm -hmm. you know, I was actually on on the Facebook and didn't even almost miss a stop. There you go. Yeah. A makeshift tribute with several crosses was set up by Tim's friends and family at the spot on the highway where Tim had died. It was there that people went to the grave for the kind-hearted young man who'd been taken from them so suddenly and in such a brutal way. They brought flowers, ribbons, and other tributes, as well as writing notes and poems of love to Tim on the crosses there. There were dozens of internet tributes as well. One group grew to over 50,000 members. Many posts were photo tributes, and poems to Tim. One of those odes was included in his buddy Jesse Keller's video tribute to the slain young man. The poem is titled, A Carney's Farewell to Tim McLean. It goes, When the show on earth is over, and the master says time to go, the angels here in heaven will be waiting for your show. We must go on as you beckon. We must quickly slot and fly. Yes, there is a carnival in heaven with bright lights and fun galore, and organ will sound sweeter than you ever heard before. There will be Eli wheels and scramblers, merry-go-rounds for wee ones too. God himself the supervisor, and the carny folks the crew. The angels in the Ginny ride, playing music pure and sweet, for the cherubs on the horses, galloping round on wooden feet. There will be popcorn and cotton candy, with a deeper shade of pink, perhaps a little sweeter, since it's made in heaven, don't you think? The jump from earth to heaven will be the grandest one of all, with no motor or truck stall. So let's make the show a good one, while here on earth we dwell, so when we set up next in heaven, God will say, a job well done. A celebration of Timothy McLean's life was held on Saturday, August 9, 2008, at Westwood Community Church at 401 Westwood Drive in Winnipeg at 4 p.m. Vince Lee was charged with second-degree murder in Tim McLean's death and sent for a psychiatric evaluation. Lee was refusing to assist with his legal representation. His only words at his court appearance on August 5, 2008 were, Please kill me. Vince Lee's trial began in March of 2009. And after only three days of testimony, Vincent Weigong Lee was found not criminally responsible in Tim McLean's homicide. In his decision, Queen's Bench Justice John Scurfield said, quote, These grotesque acts are appalling. However, the acts themselves and the context in which they were committed are strongly suggested of a mental disorder. He did not appreciate the actions he committed were morally wrong. He believed he was acting in self-defense. Vince Lee, who claimed he had mutilated Tim to prevent him from resurrecting from the dead, was on his way to a hospital bed, not a prison cell. Tim McLean's friends and family were appalled they felt that Vince Lee should be locked up forever and the key to his cell should be thrown away. Some people even believe that Lee was faking his symptoms and knew full well what he was doing. According to Winnipeg Free Press reporter Mike McIntyre, McLean's mother, Carol DeDelelli, had a lot to say outside the courtroom. 
He still did it, she said. Whether he was in his right frame of mind or not, he still did the act. There was nobody else on that bus holding a knife and slicing up my child. Nobody else did that. Just one individual did that. Didelelli said the law needs to be changed so someone can be found not psychologically accountable but still criminally responsible for a crime. She's been fighting for that ever since. You know, I would never tell the family of victim what to think or what to feel or what they should be doing, right? And I'm not in her situation and yeah. this wasn't my son. Mm -hmm. So she definitely has the right to do everything that she thinks she needs to do. Right, yeah. Um, and it's it's honestly, Mike, it's hard for me to disagree. Yes. But I have to. Yeah. Um, and when I say hard, I mean, like, when something like this happens, my first flex reaction is lock them up away from people forever. Right. And I think that's everyone's natural mm -hmm. thing. But we can't make laws on reflex. No. Right. And we've had a few episodes before where we talked about schizophrenia and, you know, I've known people mm -hmm. who yep. have. And uh, like, I'm a believer in that it wasn't him that did it. Mm -hmm. Right. It was his illness. His, his illness. His, he was out of his mind. And, and for me, you can't be held criminally responsible if you're completely out of your mind, if it's essentially not you. Mm -hmm. Right. I think a, a lot of what, um, it's, but it's hard, right? Because like it's fucking horrible. Yeah. And, and again, like I will never, ever tell anyone that what they should think if they're a victim or a victim. No. And it creates, that. it cre not only is there a lot of anger that her son was taken away from her, yeah. but there's also the fear that he's going to do it again to somebody else. And this country needs more mental health support. Like mm -hmm. I'm, if we're in a society, right? If you can't look after the people that are ill, be it physical, mental, whatever, mm -hmm. right? Then you're not functioning as a society. Yeah, it's true. And this guy was picked up by the police. I think, you know, they probably should have sectioned him for longer. Yeah. Um, and I think society needs to have the clout to be able to section people for their own good and for our own good for a while until yeah. they make sure that that person's okay. Yeah. Sectioning is a term. I think they use that in the UK. Am I correct? Yeah, it yeah. means it means put somebody in a mental institution yeah. against their own. It will. depends on where you're from, yeah. but they'll use it as like a psychiatric hold or yeah. a seventy-two hour mental health hold or something like that. So, yeah, and sometimes it needs to be longer than that. According to Wikipedia, the family of Tim McLean brought a lawsuit against Greyhound, the Attorney General of Canada, and Weiguang Li. It's unclear what the result of that has been. On June 3rd, 2010, Vince Lee was granted supervised outdoor walks within his mental health facility as voted by the Provincial Review Board. On February 16, 2011, two passengers, Deborah Tucker of Port Colborne, Ontario, and Kaylee Shaw of London, Ontario, filed lawsuits against Vince Lee Greyhound, the RCMP, and the Government of Canada for being exposed to the horrific beheading. They were each seeking damages of $3 million. Boo. Why boo? That just feels like it's a bit of a money grab. Yeah, I get it though, but yeah. I, I get it, but come on. In 2012... Vince Lee was interviewed by Chris Somerville, CEO of the Schizophrenic Society of Canada at the Selkirk Mental Health Facility, where Vince was living. Vince Lee signed an affidavit agreeing to the publication of the interview. What follows is the bulk of the interview, which I will link to in its entirety 
on darkpoutine.com. After asking about Lee's background, much of which we've already covered, Somerville began asking Vince about the things that led him to kill Tim McLean and his feelings about that, the aftermath of McLean's death, and his subsequent treatment. Somerville said, Do you have spirituality? Lee answers, I believe in Jesus Christ. He is my Savior. I try to follow God. Question. When did you begin to experience schizophrenia? Vince Lee answered, In 2004. I didn't know what it was. I now know what it is. I began to hear voices that normal people do not hear. I thought I heard the voice of God telling me to write down my journey. The voice told me that I was the third story of the Bible, that I was like the second coming of Jesus. I was to save people from a space alien attack. That is why I traveled around the country. I am not sure of all the places I went to. I now know that it was schizophrenia I was suffering from. Somerville then asked, Why did you do what you did on the bus? Vince answered, I bought a knife at Canadian Tire. I bought it for any emergency for the journey to protect myself from the aliens. I was really scared. I remember cutting off his head. I believed he was an alien. The voices told me to kill him, that he would kill me or others. I do not believe this now. It was totally wrong. It was my fault. I sinned. But it was the schizophrenia. Somerville then asked, What else do you remember about the incident? Vince answered, I try to forget about it. I try to stay busy here. It is painful to think about. Somerville asked, How do you feel about what happened? Vince said, I feel nervous. I feel painful. I am embarrassed. It was wrong. Question, Do you understand why people are scared of you? Answer, Yes. Yes, I don't think I will ever do it again. I didn't know at the time I had schizophrenia. Now I do. Question. What would you say to Tim McLean's mother and the rest of his family? Answer. I'm really sorry for what I did. If I could talk to her directly, I would do anything for their family. I would ask forgiveness, but I know it would be hard to accept. Question. How has the time been at Selkirk Mental Health Center? Answer. I know that I suffer from schizophrenia. The treatment team gives me a chance to recover, to be normal. I am glad to be taking the medication. Question. Do you think you are getting better? Answer. Yes. My thinking is becoming normal. I don't think weird things. I take my medication, olanzapine, every day. I'm glad to take it. I don't have any weird voices anymore. Question. How do we know you will take your medication when you get out on your own? Answer. I would be glad to be under a treatment order because medication helps me. It is very important. I don't want to do what I did ever again. Question. How does it make you feel that most people do not think you should get a pass to walk around Selkirk? Do you understand their fear? Answer. I understand people are scared because of my behavior on the Greyhound bus. I am not at risk for anybody. I don't believe in aliens. I don't hear voices. I would call my doctor if I heard voices again. Yes, I understand their fear. Question. Some say the RCMP should have killed you that night. Answer. I should have been killed at that time. I still believe that. But I am thankful that the RCMP didn't. Question. What is schizophrenia? What are you learning? Answer. It is hearing voices or having delusions. You don't know what is real. I need to take medication on time. I also have to have meaningful activity, something to do. I have to learn how to handle stress. Question. What helps you deal with stress? Answer. Taking medication. Exercising and doing Bible study with the chaplain here. Question. Do you have side effects from the medication? 
Answer. Yes, I sleep too much. I feel tired a lot and I've gained some weight. Question. Do you believe you should be under a treatment order? Answer. I should be here. I should be under a treatment order. Question. If you ever get out of Selkirk Mental Health Center, what would you do? Answer. I hope to leave one day, but I have to make sure it wouldn't happen again, that there would be no voices. I would change my name to be anonymous, but I would still be in touch with my doctor. Question. What do you think of Tim's law? That any mentally insane person who kills someone would never be released? Answer. I don't think so, that that should happen. Mental illness is an illness. It is treatable. My schizophrenia is not the real me, but it is an illness. Question. How would you know you were getting sick again? Answer. Hearing voices, stopping my medication, and starting to believe in aliens. God would not tell me to do something bad. Question. How do you feel about what you are reading in the newspapers? Answer. I don't read the papers because I don't want to be reminded of what happened on the Greyhound bus because it was so bad and wrong. Question. Are you happy? Answer. No. Question. Will you ever be happy? Answer. No. I can never forget the Greyhound bus. Any final words? Answer. I would like to say to Tim McLean's mother, I am sorry for killing your son. I am sorry for the pain I've caused. I wish I could reduce that pain. After being gradually reacclimatized to the community through a number of successful passes, first supervised and then unsupervised, Vincent Lee, who had legally changed his name to Will Lee Baker, was released. In February of 2017, Global News Canadian Press reported that Vincent Lee had been granted a full discharge from the psychiatric institution in Selkirk, where he had been receiving treatment. The article stated, quote, Vince Lee, who now goes by Will Lee Baker, was granted full discharge Friday afternoon. Baker was found not criminally responsible, NCR, for killing Tim McLean on a Greyhound bus in 2008. Baker was found NCR for his actions on account of a medical disorder in 2009. Because Baker was found NCR, he was eligible to apply for an absolute discharge, which he was granted Friday afternoon, according to a report from Manitoba's Criminal Code Review Board. This means he is no longer subject to any conditions. End quote. Tim McLean's mother, Carol Dedelli, spoke out on February 13, 2017, on Global TV's The Morning Show with host and producer Jeff MacArthur. Here's what Ms. Dedelli had to say. Vince Lee, the man who was found not criminally responsible for the killing of Tim McLean aboard a Greyhound bus back in 2008, has now been granted an absolute discharge. The latest development, another hard blow for McLean's family, still trying to cope with the tragedy. Tim McLean's mother is Carol Dedelli, and she joins me now via phone. Uh, Carol, good morning. I appreciate your time with us. And first off, can I just get your reaction to Vince Lee being granted his freedom? Uh, I literally felt sick to my stomach. Um, I'm very concerned for the safety of the public because there is no legal requirement currently in Canada for this extremely mentally ill individual to treat his illness. Skip well, Lee, who now, now goes by the name of Will Baker, was found not criminally uh, responsible, as we mentioned. He has his freedom now. So do you feel as if there's been justice done when it comes to your son? No, I don't. Um, I don't believe that justice has been done at all. Schizophrenia is a lifelong and incurable illness. The psychiatric community states that they cannot predict the future behavior of any individual. Why are they predicting that he's going to take his medicine then? Is that the biggest fear as far as you're concerned moving forward? Absolutely. If he's, 
he has received an absolute discharge, which means there's no criminal record. There is going to be nothing on the books saying that he killed my son. He can cross borders. That diagnosis will not follow him. He'll have every freedom that you have. Um, the same community that predicts, that says they can't predict the future behavior of any individual also states that the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior, and we know what he's capable of. I believe yeah. it's time for all people to take care of each other, and I don't think this is the way to do it. What needs to be done here then, uh, Carol, as far as you're concerned? I know there's been talk that the, the doctors who signed off on Mr. Lee's uh, release, uh, do you believe that they should be held responsible if indeed he reoffends? That will never happen. The system is never responsible. Um, and in this instance, nobody is responsible. NCR cases, as soon as they start talking about NCR, if you ever find yourself in this circumstance, um, I would suggest saying, no, you're not going to agree to any statement of facts. Make it through a trial. Make them have to prove that this person is, is um, unfit, is mentally ill. Don't just well, been a lot. There's been a lot of talk over the last couple of days that this is another example of putting criminals' rights ahead of victims' rights. Is that the way you obviously feel? Oh, definitely. There's no question of that. Um, in a nutshell, I don't believe that the choice to treat his illness or not to treat his illness should be his decision to make anymore. At the very least, while he's living amongst us, because he already is, at the very least, he should be continued to be monitored for the rest of his days. His life, his illness is lifelong illness. It's an incurable illness. He's not healed. He's not all better. That can't happen for a schizophrenic. All right. Carol Dedelli, I really appreciate the time, and I wish you the best over the uh, coming days and weeks. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you. On the same day, after being called out by Conservative opposition leader Ronna Ambrose, then Federal Justice Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould, said that there would be a broad review of the justice system following the discharge of Vince Lee. Here's some audio of their exchange in the House of Commons with some debate whether victims' rights should be put before those of the perpetrators. Mr. Speaker, in, in 2008, Tim McLean was murdered on a Greyhound bus. His murderer, Vince Lee, is now a free man with an absolute discharge, while Tim's mother will continue to live with this hell for the rest of her life. That just doesn't seem right. But now we also learn that the Prime Minister wants to eliminate mandatory jail time for crimes. So, Mr. Speaker, when will the Prime Minister put the rights of victims ahead of the rights of criminals? The Honourable Minister of Justice. And certainly our hearts go out to the McLean family. I want to be clear that um, the, parole, or the review boards of the provinces and territories have a specific jurisdiction on whether or not an absolute discharge is provided to persons who are held not criminally responsible. And with regard to the broader criminal justice system review, we are certainly conducting a review, including mandatory minimums, to ensure that we are in compliance with the Constitution and moving forward to um, improve the efficiencies, effectiveness, and to ensure that public safety remains paramount. On the 11-year anniversary of Tim McLean's death, his mother visited the roadside memorial outside Portage La Prairie. She expressed her feelings on Facebook in a post accompanied by photos of the white cross and flowers that remain on the spot that her son died. She wrote, I was there today to visit you 
that place where you drew your last breath. I left some flowers and filled the watering jug for others who stopped to visit. I know they'll water them if it's needed. I'm grateful for the individual who cuts the grass there each year. A big thank you to Ken Bosch Greenhouse for the tree they donated years ago that is doing so well amongst the lilacs. We miss you, Timothy. Your smile and laughter. I think the whole country is still in a state of disbelief over the ridiculousness of NCR. Your precious life was worth so much more. End quote. Passengers, the bus driver, and police officers present that night have indicated in several interviews that since witnessing the events on Bus 1170, they have suffered nightmares and other symptoms of post-traumatic stress. From a Globe and Mail article by Patrick White posted on January 6, 2009, quote, I'm back there every day, said Marlene Gregory, who boarded the bus July 30th in Erickson, Manitoba. It just doesn't go away. She was off to work in Winnipeg, three hours east. It was a trip she made often, but hasn't since. The screaming started 45 minutes before sunset around 8.30 p.m. Ms. Gregory has been trying to pray away memories of that sound ever since. They are native prayers, Ojibwe prayers, she said from her home in Erickson. In the morning and the evening, I pray for everyone who was on the bus. That's not to say it's going away. It's not. She has developed an edginess around people, an instinctual caginess that she can't drop for friends or strangers. Everywhere I go, I'm aware of my surroundings. She said, I used to be the type to walk around and feel safe. I trusted people. And that's gone. I'm trying to get it back. It's pretty rough. End quote. The reason I've waited so long to cover this much-requested case is that it's a bit of a polarizing and provocative hot potato. Many of the Canadians and others who have taken an interest in this case have strong feelings and varied opinions on its outcome. It's one of those stories that, if you look at it critically, you can't help but feel that it is an epic tragedy on both sides of the coin. On one side, you have the family of the victim, Tim McLean, who died violently and horrifically that night on the Greyhound. They lost one of their own, suddenly, completely, senselessly, and far too soon. Tim did nothing to encourage what happened to him. He was just a guy in the bus on his way home. Tim McLean's family and many others fear that, while no one is watching, Vince Lee will stop taking his medication and kill again. On the other side, you have the predator on the other side, you have the perpetrator, Vince Wagwang Lee. Vince has to live the rest of his life knowing what he is capable of if not properly medicated. To put the events of July 30, 2008 behind him, he's changed his name. I've stated it here in this podcast only as it's been reported so many times already. Some people who know what he did are afraid of Will Baker. Should they be? What are your thoughts on that? Are you afraid of Will Baker? I don't know Will Baker. Right. Yeah. Um, no, I'm not afraid of Will Baker. Yeah. You know, people's fear, it's going to be up to them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, more cautious, yes. Right. But I want to sit beside him on a bus? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I've seen completely fucking bonkers and I've seen application of medication and then the normal, beautiful human being personally in my yeah. life. So I, I like, I just, it's a fact to me, it's a fact that people can get better when they're on meds. Yeah. It's around 1% of the population suffers from schizophrenia of some kind. Yeah. And that's not to say that 1% of the population will do something no. like Will Baker did. No. 
How would you feel living next door to Will Baker or someone like him? I live in a building with a few hundred people. Mm -hmm. So who's to say that inevitably one of them might have a form of mental illness? Right. Yep. They they definitely do. So I could be living with somebody like in a building with somebody that could snap, right? Mm. If they're not looked after. Um, So, you know, this isn't the first time we've seen this. Yeah. And it'll, it's never going to be the last time. Nope. This will always happen. Mm-hmm. It'll always happen. It's a, it's just a fact of life. Yeah. Uh, but I actually lived two doors down from a murderer in London for 10 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um. So did he, uh, was he NCR or did he do what he did because he was. He murdered his wife and his 12 year old son in the house, went to jail and then came back, came out and moved back into the house again. Oh, good Lord. It is usually the perpetrator that people talk about, and sadly, this case is one of those cases. Ask anyone who the killer was in the Greyhound bus incident, and many can tell you Vince Lee's name, while very few remember Tim McLean. The way cases are reported, what organizations feel is important, is often what's at the root of this, which trains people how to think about crime. For example, there are many more Google searches for Ted Bundy than there are for his victims, Denise Nasland or Susan Rancourt. In a Wikipedia mod discussion about sunsetting slash Tim McLean on Wikipedia, one user points out Wikipedia's policy that says even when an event is notable, individuals involved in it may not be, end quote. There is a lot of discussion in that article about calling the case a low-importance crime. Thankfully, cooler heads and wiser ones prevailed and the mods came out in favor of changing the name of the article to slash to slash the killing of Tim McLean. That's where you can find a bit more information on what happened that night along the side of the highway. Greyhound kept the bus that Tim died on in service, a fact that irked his friends and family. However, it's no longer an issue. According to a May 14, 2021 article on autoweek.com, quote, After almost a century of operations, Greyhound Canada has shut down permanently in the country last night at midnight, a year after the coronavirus pandemic took a toll on its already precarious business. The company announced the closure just over a year after the coronavirus pandemic had affected bus travel and other forms of public transportation in Canada and the U.S., although Greyhound's U.S. operations will continue. Greyhound's closure has left many carless people from remote communities across Canada's west without a reliable means of transport. Many are resorting once again to the dangerous practice of hitchhiking to get from place to place. Again from AutoWeek.com, Canada's Federal Transport Minister Omar Algabra noted the impact of the shutdown on intercity travel in Canada. He said, quote, I'm disappointed by Greyhound's decision to stop service in Canada. We know that many Canadians depend on this service. We will work with our provincial partners to explore options to address this gap and provide Canadians with safe, reliable, and affordable transportation across the country. Although there have been smaller bus operators who've stepped up to fill the Greyhound void, there are still not enough buses to meet the needs of poorer Canadians. It's a work in progress. And Tim McLean's mother is still without her son. And that's it for Dark Poutine episode 191, Horror on Bus 1170, The Death of Tim McLean. Any closing thoughts on this case, Matthew? I know we, this one, this one has been a tough one for both of us. I didn't like it. No. 
<laughs> I don't say that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, any closing thoughts? Yeah. These ones are always hard. Yeah. You know, when we have some asshole that has plotted out somebody's death, yep. there's a finger that can be pointed and everyone can say, fuck you, go to jail. Right. They have right. like a selfish motive of right. some description. But this is this, yeah. like, we've done a few and this is just a goddamn mess. Yeah. The yeah. whole thing from top to bottom is a mess. Yeah. Yeah. It's very sad. I mean, I look at... Uh, Someone like Tim McLean, 22 years old. He hadn't even really started his life yet. No, it's so my sad. life didn't start until I was in my late 20s, really. Yeah. You know, so he was just doing his thing. He was being a young adult, having a great time, traveling around, making some money, meeting some friends, you know, having, having a party, you know, like. Yeah. And then you have Will Baker, Vince Lee, mm. who he came to Canada looking for a better life. The stresses of things got to him and exacerbated the situation. condition that yeah. he didn't really know he had. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like I say, top to bottom, just tragic. Yeah. Tragic. Let's lighten things up. Yes, please. With some voicemail. <laughs> That's right. It's time for voicemails. You can leave us a message at 1-877-327-5786 or 1-877-DARK-PTN. We'd love to hear from you. Let's see who called us this week. All right. And our first voicemail is one that is kind of fun for me because I've kind of wanted this for a while. So we'll, we'll see. You'll see what I mean okay. when you hear it. Hey, fellas. Calling in from lovely Western New York, North Tonawanda to be specific. Just wanted to say I love the show. You guys do a great job, and it's a lot better than some of the other True Kind podcasts you might find, uh, you know, down at the end and on the left. Uh, with that being said, go take a poop in your hat, and uh, I believe you guys said once that you wanted to hear this on a call. Have a good one, fellas. Yes. Yay! <laughs> Success. <laughs> Tonawanda forever. Exactly. That's, That's so, so cool. That is so cool. Thank I, you. I, I love me some first responder. That's uh, so cool. First responder love. We're, we're just like two 12-year-old boys. I know. It's like, like I'm like the guy. <laughs> <Yeah>, siren. Yeah. <laughs> like when you're driving down the highway and yeah. you see a trucker and you put your arm uh, out uh, and he actually does it, you, you think it's like. Oh, you've succeeded in life. Absolutely. That, that is success for me. Thank you so much. All right. Let's listen to another one. Hey, Mike and Matthew. My name's Alexandria. I'm from Thunder Bay, home of the Sleeping Giant, the Stall Brothers, and the Persian, the pastry, not the person or cat. I've been listening to Dark Poutine now for a couple of years. And I'm a member of the Yumber Yard, OG and 2.0, and the Craft Barn. I absolutely love the podcast and sing its praises every chance I get. I've been wanting to leave a voicemail for a while now, but uh, never knew quite what to say. I felt especially compelled to call after listening to episode 185, She Told Me To, The Blackman Family Tragedy. As someone who works closely with people who have a psychotic disorder, I am truly grateful and touched with how you told the story. There's so much stigma and misinformation around psychosis, and more often than not, people are mistreated and neglected. 
I've worked with hundreds of these folks over the last seven and a half years, and there's been only a handful of incidents involving physical violence during that time, all of which, I have to say, happened within the context of psychosis. I find people tend to forget this is an illness with debilitating symptoms, and it's not something you can just snap out of. Many of our clients, after holistic care, time, empathy, and lots of patience, they're able to find some sort of rehabilitation. I love seeing my clients well, helping them succeed in their day-to-day activities and walking beside them on their path to recovery. With that being said, I'd like to thank you both again for your compassion, authenticity, and eloquence. You are without a doubt good eggs. So keep doing what you're doing, and I'll keep listening. Now, do me a solid. Go shit in your hats. Well, thank you very much. And that is so appropriate for this episode. It is. Um, Yeah, here we are talking about this topic once again. Another person in psychosis does horrific things. uh, And there's so much fear around this. I've heard other podcasts address it in a way that we should be fearful of these people. No, I mean, it's... Between you and I and the rest of the audience here, I have had a time where I had to be hospitalized and was not safe for myself. I was not safe. No, I don't want to get into that. No, let's skip that whole thing. Okay. But I think, you know, what she's saying, you know, when I said people should be sectioned. Yeah. I I don't mean like... Put away. It's a weird, it makes it sound like you're putting them on the rack or something. It's into people's care like this to help them get better. I'm a true believer when, because I've seen it, when you're in a psychotic break, you're not you. Like it's, it's a different thing. So, and it's hard because, you know, these stories come out and anyway, I don't, I think I've said enough. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for your call. So we have to find, speaking of people who need to relax a little bit, we have to find some way for Matthew to relax because he is so damn fidgety. I'm super fidgety today. I don't know what it is with you today. It's weird. Let's listen to another voicemail and try to calm your boobs. Okay. Hi, Doug Pujin. Uh My name is Rhea. I just drove from Victoria, B.C. to uh, Charlottetown, P.I. And uh, you guys kept me company the whole way across. And uh, I just wanted to say that I love your show. I've been listening to it since uh, your early episodes, um, especially because there was a few pertaining to Vancouver Island that I really appreciated. And uh Kindly, shit in your hat. Thanks, guys. Bye. Well, I have done that cross-Canada drive myself, and I can say it is quite a feat. So congratulations <laughs> for making it. And Matthew told me he's reading my book and falling asleep, and he has listened to the podcast, and my voice puts him to sleep. So you made it without falling asleep at the wheel. Congratulations again. <laughs> that is amazing. I, like, I was keeping her awake. 
Maybe that that was it. <laughs> Listen to the early episodes with me <laughs> and, and nap, and then yeah, later ones and get energized. It's exactly well. That's a long drive. I wonder how long it took her. Um. Well, with stops, it took me a week. Wow. Yeah. What, you didn't just wear a diaper and drive the entire way? <laughs> no, I'm not like some lady astronaut who wants to go <laughs> murder somebody and... She's not a lady astronaut. She's just an astronaut. I guess. You're... Okay, I'm not even going to say that because you're correct. Okay. I'm not some astronaut who puts on a diaper and drives herself across <laughs> the country so she can murder somebody and, and back. So, yeah. Yeah, I hope not. Well... I, I was a cosmonaut, a bit of a cosmonaut back in the day. Cosmonaut. But that's cool. Like, I really do want to do that drive again, drive back to Nova Scotia from here. I think it would be fun to do again. I know I've done it once. It was on my bucket list. Back and forth I drove. And I, guess what? I, I want to do it again. I think you should drive west. I think you should start in Tofino. Mm-hmm. And then go so you can really do it. Drive all the way to Gander, maybe. Yeah. Gander, from Tofino, from Tofino to Gander. That would be quite amazing. That would be. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I've never been to Newfoundland, so it gives me an excuse to go to Newfoundland. So I was there years ago. Yeah. I have landed in a plane on Newfoundland, but I have never seen Newfoundland outside a plane. So. I went to a gay bar. <laughs> of course you did. And everyone was like, ah, you're from away. <laughs> And I met a guy and his last name was Oregon and it was really appropriate. Oh boy. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> was his name Richard Oregon? Dick. Dick Oregon. <laughs> no, I did it. I went there. Well, thank you so much to our voicemail voicemailers. We really appreciate that. Um, Again, you can leave us one at one 327 5786 or 1-877-DARKPTN. PTN. We'd love to hear from you regardless of what you have to say. Uh, generally. Generally, just make it nice. <laughs> Don't be dicks. <laughs> exactly. And if you're stumped for what to chat with us about, a quick story is welcome. Or and, poetry. Or poetry. Mm. Oh, I, the only thing that I can think of poetry-wise is something from the McLean and McLean album, right. and it is probably the most disgusting thing that you'll ever hear, so I won't say it. There once was a man from Nantucket? No. Oh. That, there is that, too. But there once was a girl from Pompeii. Okay. Yeah, we're not going to go there. <laughs> anyway, um, thank you for your voicemails. Now it's time for us to move on to... Patreon and Donut Money donors. Patreon. Uh, this week, first up, we have Gwyn Hartung from San Antonio, Texas. Gwyn, Gwyn, Gwyn. Thank you, Gwyn. Thank uh, you, Gwyn. What does Gwyn do there in San Antonio, Texas? Gwyn gives West Side architecture tours. Whoa. Yeah. There's, it, this sounds like you actually thought about well, this. Well, there's like Spanish eclectic and Tudor revival in the West Side. It's kind of like really funky uh, architecture there. And I think she does tours. Does she give tours of the Alamo as well? And the basement of the Alamo where Pee Wee Herman's bike was kept after it was stolen. Uh, is the Alamo in... Yeah, it is. In San Antonio? Yeah. No, she just does Spanish eclectic and Tudor. Oh, okay, there you go. Well, thank you so much, Gwen. <laughs> Thanks, Gwen. Next, we have Andrea Van Rickham. 
And I don't know where Andrea is from. She's from Holland. Well, that's what it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and having a Dutch family. She's from Rotterdam. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, there you go. My family's in Amsterdam. She's, she invented, um, slam and Rotterdam music. Wow. You know, there's a specific genre of like hardcore techno that's called Rotterdam. No. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's the truth. I wonder if my cousin Rude Wolf, who lives in Amsterdam, dances to Rotterdam. He might. Damn. Slam in Rotterdam. There's a lot of dams and ams and all kinds of <laughs> interesting things. I have a lot of Dutch family. Do you? Yeah. We're probably related. Yeah. Yeah. That'd I be... come from the short Dutch people and you come from the taller Dutch people. Most Dutch people are taller anyway. They are the tallest nation on earth, yeah. I do believe. No, I'm, my relations are married in. Oh, uh, well, there you go. Yeah. Then we're related by marriage, probably. I come from the good side of the family. <laughs> next we have oh next we have from Qualicum Beach British Columbia Camille Camille from Qualicum Beach and what does Camille do there in Qualicum Beach she's a beachcomber she must make a lot of money being a beachcomber because not only is she a patron she's our donut money donor Yay, this week we love you right holy crap thank you so much Camille so Whilst combing beaches, has Camille ever found anything interesting? Yeah, shoes with feet in them. <laughs> that was from the... You're hearkening back to the first episode of Dark Poutine. Oh, am I? Yes. The very first episode was Floating Feet. Wow, I didn't listen to that episode. Yeah, because it was terrible. <laughs> it sounded awful. It is terrible. <laughs> if you go back and listen to those other episodes, uh, if you started on the mo most recent one... Those early episodes, audio-wise, will probably disappoint you a great deal. You know, deal. whenever I listen to a podcast, I always skip the first 10. Well, in our case, probably you shouldn't because some of people's favorite episodes are there, like uh, well, I wouldn't, I the wouldn't, Halifax Explosion. I wouldn't skip Dark Poutine's first 10. Right. Wow. But any other podcast, I would. There you go. Well, thank you to all our patrons thank you guys. and donut money donors past and present for your generosity. It keeps to help the show going. It helps to keep the show going. You can become a patron of Dark Poutine at patreon.com slash dark poutine. For a one-time donation, you can send us donut money via PayPal using our email address, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. If you don't already subscribe to the show, it'd mean a lot if you did. You can easily find Dark Poutine on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Keep your eyes peeled, or should I say your ears, for Supernatural Circumstances, the podcast that I'm going to be doing with Morgan Knudsen. I can hardly wait for that. Our first episode drops next week. Boom. October 25th on Monday at the same time as Dark Poutine, so you'll get a double dose double of, dose of mike exactly so and an introduction to morgan knutson well people have heard her on our uh, the amherst i, I just like saying mystery. Her name. Yeah. she has the best name yeah in the she's world. great yeah also my book murder madness and mayhem it's a big month for me uh is coming out in november november 2nd you can pre-order it on amazon or via links on the dark poutine website and speaking of our website, please check out darkpoutine.com for show notes and other cool stuff. 
please, please, please take the time to give Dark Routine a like or a follow on Facebook and Instagram. Most importantly, thank you for listening and tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. Until we return, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Bye, all. Bye, all. <laughs> Chowder. Chowder. <laughs>